Hi, everybody. My name is Laura. I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. So glad to be here. This is uh, really, really nice. I love these conferences. You know, when I used to come to these things, I used to feel like the enemy. And um, I don't quite feel that way anymore. I hope that's not a delusional thought. Um, anyway, I came in, and thank you, Sue, for inviting me. It was very, uh, very sweet. Um, I came into Al-Anon 18 years ago, and I have to laugh every time one of you people get up and say, you know, my name is Joe and my sober date is April 19th, whatever, in the year. And I, I can barely give you the year because I just, and, I, and how I go is I have a friend that started uh, a couple of weeks before me, so sometimes I'll say to her, how long are we in now? Because uh, when I arrived in Al-Anon, it definitely was out of desperation, but it was out of desperation to get my sick and suffering husband well because he was doing everything in his power, I believed at the time, to screw with me. <laughs> and uh, my life was becoming severely unmanageable, and um, it needed to stop, because as I learned later on, it's all about me. And, um, you know, I was not a well person back then. I did not really... Well, that's not even completely true. I did know that there was something wrong. Um, just to backtrack a little bit, my Al-Anon disease started way before I even knew about it. Um, I'd approximately say it started when I was in my mother's womb. And, um, you know, I was warm and fuzzy in there. Everything was going great. And then I had to come out into this cruel world. And I did not want to do that. You know, probably was crying in my crib, worried about, you know, is she coming with the bottle? Isn't she coming with the bottle? Where is she? What is she doing? You know? So it started very, very young for me. And... Uh, I actually have a very, very blocked childhood. Um, that's probably a godsend. I, I look at it as a gift from God. But one thing that I do know is that I always, um, I'm not your typical Al-Anon, I always say, because, you know, my perception of most of the Al-Anons are, you know, they were home baking cupcakes and being the great mother. And, you know, these are the stories I hear, whether they're true or not, this is what I would hear, you know. And that bastard and, you know, and I'm home and the kids and the bath and the PTA and this. I was not in the PTA. I was not buying bacon cupcakes. Occasionally, I would go and buy them, bring them up to school if need be. Um, yeah, so that was not my story. Uh, if anything, I could relate more to all of you out there. So, you know, if not more so, my insanity. But um, so my journey started very young, and I always thought that, you know, there must be like a chromosome, a gene, something's not right, something's missing. I was born, I'm defective. And, you know, this is the way it is. So I started very early on, um, hmm, boy, how did I start? Well, I always wanted to fix anybody. And I, I now know that that was because I didn't, couldn't look at myself. I didn't know to look at myself. I really didn't know any better. But I thought if I could make you better, whether you were my friend, my boyfriend, my lover, my husband, who, my mother, my father, whatever it was, I was going to fix you because ultimately that would make me feel better. Um, I remember for years, I mean, I did not grow up in an alcoholic home. Uh, I do believe that every, I believe that every ha family has dysfunction, but my family wasn't the typical, and I hear a lot of this, a lot of adult, you know, adult children in Al-Anon, and they have very dysfunctional lives. I didn't have that. I had two parents who were, you know, worked every day. I mean, there was occasional, occasional social drinking. Um... But they were loners. My parents were loners. We, they came, both came from very big families, but we saw nobody. I don't know. They were mad at everybody. Um, 
So, you know, my mother's one of nine and my father's one of six. I, have re- I live on Staten Island. I have relatives on Staten Island that I could bump into in the CVS and I wouldn't even know it. So, yeah, we, I didn't have much exposure. My social skills were really poor and um, feeling defective and things like that. Either I was out in the world trying to fix the world or I was out criticizing or I was judging or I was, you know, nobody was perfect. I was perfect and every night I would go home and say, Jesus, what's wrong with me? You know, because I always knew there was something wrong. So I venture off into my journey of destruction, uh, and I pick up my first love of my life, who, who happens to be a drug addict, and this is great, you know, my new prospect that I am going to fix now. And it, that turns out to be a disaster. Um, you know, he actually robbed from my mother. Um, have not made that amends yet. We'll get to that, though. And... Um, yeah, it was just a disaster. Cheating on me, you know, he'd disappear for three weeks, and then he'd call, and I'd be there for the three weeks. I'd be like, that bastard, I'd be telling him, when he comes back, I'm telling him where to go. He'd call up, go, you want to meet me down the street? Sure, I'll be right there. And off I would go, you know, and then we'd start this whole cycle again. And this, this was my first experience with love, and, you know, this was my first experience with, um, you know, I'm going to die if this person leaves me. Like, you know, I was so busy taking care of him, and I'm going to die if he leaves me. So needless to say, the great I am, he left me. And uh, that was a devastating blow. So, you know, now I'm really no good. I can't, you know, I'm no good. He's a drug addict. He's leaving me. I, there's got to be something really wrong with this picture. So... Um, Later on, I, I, I meet my future husband, and he was from a family, uh, he was one of eight children, he was a twin, and man, were they, I thought I had, book talks about I had arrived, I thought I had arrived. They were the happiest bunch of people. Every single one of them drank, every single one, I mean, who was driving who home, who was picking who up off the street, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching all this going, this is great, this is just great. I have a family, you know, because my family was, I say the, the flaw in my family, for me, uh, doesn't make it right or wrong, I realized today, but it was like silence. There was never communication, there was never talking, it wasn't how was your day, honey, it was, you know, let's go to PTA, mom didn't go to PTA either, good mother, but she didn't participate in those kind of activities, so pissed off if my father had to drive to brownies, you know, it was all this kind of stuff, so, um, and I always felt like I have a sister and brother as well, and I would always look at them and say, gee, how come they're not as miserable as I am? Like, I just always had this tremendous, tremendous, tremendous gap, this hole that could just never be filled. And they look pretty good, you know? They, my sister, you know, bounced along in life. She's very, very intelligent. My parents are very intelligent people. She was a straight-A student, never had to open a book. I had to study for four hours to get a grade, and... Uh, so all this led to my, you know, just added to my self-esteem. And so lo and behold, I, I, I just throw this into my story because this is, this is like, you know, part of it. Lo and behold, at 15 years old, I developed this panic disorder that I did not know what it was. Um, I just knew that I was now scared of everything and that I could not move and I could barely make it to the corner on foot. Um, I started to, like, you know, just withdraw and all these different things and, you know, I don't know how, how I, whether it's denial or what, but nobody really saw what was going on. Nobody said anything. My parents never said anything. So now, you know, my lying really started at this point, big time, because 
I was, in my mind, I was so sick thinking, I can't tell them what's going on in my mind, and I can't tell them how I'm feeling, because they'll really think, you know, they'll lock me up, they'll put me in the psych ward, you know, who can't get out of the house, my friends will call, if we're going out tonight, I make an excuse, so I had all these, these lies, I was creating all these lies, and this was really a big, uh, it's a big part of my story, because that now made me become extremely needy, <clears throat> and my parents, for whatever reason, you know, didn't see it, whatever. I saw, I just moved along over these couple of years. And then I met this man who I'm still having this panic and anxiety, but not as bad, you know, and I'm able to get out of the house and I'm able to do a couple things. And um, like I said, we go to the ball games, you know, they'd be drinking, I'd be watching, I'd be driving them home. No, you can't drive. Give me the keys. Before the game, give me the keys because I know what's going to happen. And this is how life progressed. And I, I get pregnant six months into this relationship, and um, and I have this baby, this beautiful baby boy. And, um, you know, he comes into my life, and I'm not, you know, wasn't conscious to say, you know, uh, I, this this is, you know, he's going to love me, he's going to accept me, because this is all what I was looking for. But, you know, here comes this little beautiful baby, and we were good for a while, like about, oh, I don't know, a year um, then they start getting a little nasty and coming into their own little personalities and saying no and, you know, and I'm sitting there going, shit, you know, what the hell did I get myself into? And, you know, I got the husband now who's not coming home and, you know, and I'm cooking dinner every night and putting the three plates out and every night I'm putting two, you know, one away because he never comes home. For a while there I did cellophane the dinner on a plate nice and I did... I did do that, Jay. I didn't cut the meat with Jay, and I was talking about that earlier. But I did put the plate in the refrigerator, and, you know, so when he should appear, you know, he should have a nice hot meal for him there. And um, I hardly cook anymore um, today. I've gotten a lot better with that. My son says, do you ever cook anymore? Like, sometimes. Um, Got a little tired of putting those plates away because we'll get to that. But my son has now, you know, developed his little own uh, drinking and uh, pill addiction. So anyway, um, you know, so this went on. I just, my life was falling apart. He was losing jobs. I couldn't really work because I was suffering with my panic and anxiety. I wasn't getting help. He wasn't getting help. I was talking about his drinking. I was beating the hell out of him. Um you know, thinking that there's some way that I can make this up. Because this is, this again, this is, what are you doing to me? And I really didn't get, didn't understand disease, didn't understand it at all. So I started going to this therapy, and they tried to explain this to me about this being a disease, and he's not doing this to you, and you have to stop taking this personal. And, you know, my answer is, screw you. He is doing this to me. And, you, you know, my bills aren't getting paid. And I'm throwing wood in the fire because I can't get the oil guy because I can't afford it. And I don't, I'm having a hard time starting a fire. Don't be telling me about his disease because I really don't give a shit about his disease. And, uh, you know, good excuse. He's got a disease. Poor thing. And, um, you know, and uh, what about me? What about me? It's all about me. So... You know, they, they, they talk about this place called Al-Anon. And I'm like, oh, you know. So I'm thinking that, all right, let me go. 
you know, because I know, I've heard about these 12 steps and, you know, I've heard little things about them and I, I've, you know, I know about AA, so I'll just go there. And my, my motive was to go there because obviously I was doing something wrong. What I was doing to make him better wasn't working. So I still thought I had the power to do it. I was just doing it wrong. So I'm now going to go to Al-Anon and they're going to tell me how to get him to stop drinking so that my life can be better. So I go into Al-Anon, as you know, most Al-Anons typically do on their first uh, day of arrival and proceed to tell everybody, you know, all the bad things that he's done to me and how he's destroying my life. And the woman just looked at me and said, how are you? (laughs) And I'm like, didn't you hear me? I'm losing my house, you know, the, you know, everything. Are you listening to me? Well, yeah, I heard all that, but, you know, what about you? And I'm still sitting there like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, these people are whacked. They really are losing their minds. And um, that was my first experience. I, I asked them for the remedy, the cure. Um, they didn't give it to me. They kept telling me. They just handed me a meeting list and told me to keep coming back and to try it out for six weeks before I made any decisions whether Al-Anon was for me or not. For not, I took the meeting list. I walked out, and I said, fuck you. You'll never see me again. And uh, excuse my language. And, uh, but obviously I've been around 18 years, so I did go back, right? But I spent many years in Al-Anon, and many, many, many years in Al-Anon, very sick, and um, continued on a lot of destructive behavior, um, all justified, um, you know, uh, whether it be with, one of the guys was saying it before, maybe a couple of them, you know, they're talking about their sprees, and and I'm listening and I'm saying, man, you got sprees. You don't know. You know, I suffer from a disease of terminal uniqueness. And I always say, well, you guys have an excuse. You know, you were drinking and drugging and stuff. And what's my excuse? I was supposed to be the together one. You know, but I picked up men along the way. I picked up gambling along the way. I picked up anything along the way that would make me temporarily feel better. But I continued to nail it on. And I learned how to talk the talk, and I learned how to, I had a lot, of, a lot of knowledge, but it never hit here. It never went from here to here. And they kept, again, they kept talking to me about this disease, this disease, and I was like, you know, all right. You know, at one point I started to say, well, all right, I get it. I get it. You know, when they take a drink, they can't stop. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm good with that. But they still have a choice. There's AA, for crying out loud. There's help for these people, because, you know, we hear... You know, well, if they had cancer, wouldn't you be nice to them? He doesn't have cancer. He has a disease that is, you know, treatable. And uh, I'll give him a disease, okay? And uh, I couldn't get that. I couldn't get that. He didn't have, you know, obviously he hadn't hit his bottom. Um, whatever it was, I just couldn't get it, and I still felt he was, do- it was, it was doing it to me. He was doing it to me. I threatened his life numerous times. Um, you know, we had this little boy, and I used to look at him and say, and, I, and one time, you know, so we always had parties. We were the social house. Everybody was in and out. Who had a key? Who was sleeping on the floor at 4 o'clock in the morning? I, I mean, talk about shame and guilt. You know, when I, I look back, I say, dear God, you know, I can see my little son, four years old, still stepping over the whatever drunk it was at that point on my floor. And um, 
you know, we tried the, uh, you know, we'd have these long conversations and this uh, frothy emotional appeal, you know, and I would go on this, this bandwagon of, you know, I, I'm going to have to go. Meanwhile, I knew I was going nowhere, you know. I, I'm going to have to leave now because now I thought, although I, I, I believed I needed him, I really thought that this man could not survive in the outside world without me. You know, he can't even write a check. He doesn't know what a checkbook is. He will die if I leave him. I can't do this. And I would sit in Al-Anon and I would tell these stories. And, you know, we sit in Al-Anon and we're not supposed to tell anybody what to do. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, friendships develop and things happen and people say things like, what the hell is wrong with you? Get rid of them, you know. And it was a lot of pressure that I allowed. I allowed that pressure. And I can't tell you how many times I threw him out. I had the cops at my door. I had Al-Anon's down with me, a family court, getting orders of protection. I, I mean, I did all this stuff. And um, threw him out. Two days later, he'd come back. And this went on and on and on. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to let him go. And um, so... Um, after a lot of misery, uh, he decides to, well, we used to, this is what I wanted to bring out, you know, we used to try this, I thought this was really great. He'd say, I won't drink tomorrow. Well, first we try, just drink at home, don't go out, you know, because, of course now I'm worried about you killing somebody else, but I'm worried about you killing yourself, because again, what's going to happen to me if you kill yourself? Like, I was in such great shape at the time with them. And we tried drinking, you know, at home, and we tried, you know, just drinking the beer because he really liked the beer. And then, you know, he'd be so proud, and he'd, like, show me. We had this calendar, you know, on the back of our cabinet, and he'd X off the days, you know. Look, honey, day five, haven't drank, you're doing great, keep going, day 12, where are you? You know? And then we'd start again. And we tried this a couple of times. So we tried a lot of things. We definitely tried a lot of things. He was, he was not going to AA. It wasn't for him. We would, you know, once in a while we'd go to open AA meetings and um, he'd just sit there, you know. So he, he never got the program. But, you know, there's always hope. So I, I don't give up hope on that. But, you know, we had separated once. And I, and I was really ready for this separation at this time. And he was living in a trailer. And God knows it was a mess. And... Uh, I get this phone call that he's in the hospital. He got hit by a car, walking and uh, walking drunk across the street. And he got severely, severely hurt. And here I come, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm walking into the emergency room, and I look at him, and his face looked okay. You know, God's very good to you guys. God really is. I don't know what it is, but he's very good. Because, you know, the, his arm had gone through the windshield, and he's got scars to this day, the leg, the arm, but the face was perfect. There was a couple of, you know, weeds in his hair and stuff, and, but that was it. So I looked at him, and he said to me, what the hell are you doing here? And I said, uh, is your chest hurt? And he says, No. And I proceed to, in the emergency room, start beating the shit out of his chest. <laughs> Are you done yet? Have you had enough? Ba, 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 ba. So I'm on, a, you know, another tirade. So needless to say, you know, um, I told him in the hospital, you know, I made a really brave move, I thought, you know, and I said, listen, you can't come home. Because I, you know, he thought I was going to take him back and, you know, and I had all my Al-Anon support and, you know, leave him out there and, 
got to get it. He's going to hit his bottom. I said, you can't come home. That lasted about a week because, you know, I got a call that, you know, he was living with his brother and his brother wasn't, get, you know, giving him food and stuff, which I'm sure was not true today. But, you know, Lord to the rescue goes running over and once again he's back in our house. And um, that only lasted about two weeks and that was pretty much the end of our uh, our marriage at that point. And, you know, and he left and he's on his his own journey and I went on mine. And I kept up with Alan on, but it did, it did, um, you know, I was still very sick. And I would hear about these steps in Al-Anon. You know, every month we had a step meeting. And um, off I'd go, you know, and they would have a topic meeting each night. So here I'd be going, and I'd be like, oh, what's the topic tonight? Step four, step eight, whatever it was. I was like, oh, dear God. So that meeting I spent outside smoking cigarettes with three-quarters of other Al-Anons because we really weren't interested. We didn't know, and we just... Somebody would give usually their idea. Nobody was really working the steps. And it was just, you know, whatever. So we hung outside and just continued to bash the alcoholics in our lives, so putting us in this miserable position. And uh, many, many years this went on, people, many, many years. And uh, so bottom line, you know, then I started hearing about, and let me just say that, you know, for those years that I was there just doing that, I got something out of that. That was the begin. That had to happen. That was the beginning of my journey, you know. And um, then I started to hear about these people. I call them the secret society, and they were they were meeting at like somebody's house, and they were talking about the big book, and they were working the steps out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was like, hmm. And then my sponsor at the time, she would do this work, and uh, I'd always like, you know, my manipulative self, I'd start asking, so how's that group going? And I was invited to the group, but I said, no, I don't, no, not, you know, I'm not ready for that yet, I'll, I'll let you know, but I'd pick a brain all the time and say, what's going on in that group, you know, and she'd tell me little things here and there, and she'd tell me how they were doing this fourth step, and, you know, and then they went into the ninth, and then one day I'd, I dropped her off at her house, she had been with me, and she says, I'd like to talk to you, and I said, about what? She's like, you know, I... I feel I need to make an amends to you. And now I'm like, what the hell, you know? And you know I'm working this program and I'm doing this. And, and I can't even hear her amends because in my head I'm going, I will never do this. I will never be out there going, excuse me, I need to set up an appointment. I, no. So I said, yeah, all, all is forgiven, all is well, you know, go on your merry way. But, you know, I would still kind of ask about this group, but I always thought deep down inside that this was just not something that I was, was ever going to be willing to do. And, uh, you know, and I hear about her men's, and now she's going to her ex-husband who, you know, chronic alcoholic and everything. I'm going, you're going to meet him for what? You're going to say you're sorry for What? What did you do to him? So you beat him up. So you tried to hit him with your car. It's like you, you justified. Look what he did to you. You know? <laughs> so sick. Anyway, um, so I, 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 there was a part of me that was very intrigued. And I did started seeing these people, you know, their lives were changing. And they started talking this, you know, kind of spiritual stuff. And I was always a big believer in God. You know, that was my thing. I, I had God. I had religion. I didn't need, you know, we agnostics in the big book did not apply to me because, of course, there's a God, you know. 
And people would talk about, well, you know, you know, you have to have a spiritual experience. It's a spiritual connection. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got that. I definitely got that. I got spiritual connection. Uh huh. God. Yep. I'm there. And so finally, after much, uh, you know, to cut to the chase, um, two marriages later, um, you know, because I was always looking for somebody to fix this hole inside me, uh, and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of bad stuff. Um, I decided, you know what, let me check this out. Let me, let, let me go and just see, what, you know, just give it a chance. So off I go, and I remember walking into this, you know, because we can't talk about the big book in Allen. I don't know how it is out here in Boston, but, you know, it's still kind of like a division. You know, you guys are you guys, we are, where are us. Don't be talking about their book. They're the enemy in, in this room. So, you know, not Allen on approved. Um, so that's why I call them the secret society, that they meet outside. And, uh, you know, I'm listening. I'm like, all right, okay. All right, I'll do this. Yeah, read the first 164. Uh-huh, okay. I'll do that. And I did that. And I was like, well, this I could do. You know, and I did, did start to see the directions. I wasn't so blind that I couldn't say from what I had heard, you know, what I had to do or what was expected of me to do. And I'm still reading this, I'm going, well, all right, I'll give it, give it a shot. But, you know, I was already, I wasn't even at step one, and I was already going, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm sorry to that one. I will not. They better not ask me to do that. But then I heard about these cards that, that they were writing, these index cards. And, and I heard that you put them into three sections, you know, ones that you're willing, ones that you're not sure of, and ones that you're definitely not going to do. And I said, I'm in. Because I can put my, I'm not going to zoom in that pile. You know, so, all right, now I could do that. And uh, <laughs> so I went through this process, and I did go through the process. And, and it, was, it, was, it was definitely a, uh, it was a journey, and it was an experience, and it was a good experience, and I got a lot out of it. Um, I did not withhold anything on my uh, fifth step, because I knew going in, I had some, you know, um, Ginny, you all know Ginny, right, over there? You know, take it to the grave stuff. See, I heard about this take it to the grave stuff, too. I had, I would, people would always say, don't tell Laura anything, like, in our group. Don't just, but I have a question. You're in what step? Two, stay there. So I always felt like they had something that I, you know, they were really going to ask me to do something horrible, because why are they not telling me? And uh, then I heard about this take it to the grave stuff, that you're going to be asked after, at the end of your fifth step, well, Fifth step, did you tell him, is there anything else? Anything that you're going to take to the grave? I'm like, shit, am I screwed? Because I had a couple of those. I'm taking that one to the grave. They don't need to know that. I did let out, you know, I did get out my take it to the grave stuff. And that, that was a very big experience for me. That I was able to share some things, you know, like I said, my terminal uniqueness. Nobody else has done things that I, ha- I have done. And, you know... Either I'm going to give them a heart attack or they're going to do something to use it against me. And, you know, all this drama I created in my head. And, um, and that didn't happen. And the woman I did my fifth step with, after I did it to her, I said, you know, there's one thing I am worried about. She said, what? I said, what if you ever get Alzheimer's? They say those people start talking about things they heard in the past. So what if you start talking about me, you know, in the hospital? She goes, just tell them, you know she's crazy. I said, okay, I'll do that. So I felt a little more comforted. And uh, so, you know, and, and, and 
the two big things to me out of that, that experience was that I was able to share with somebody everything, every intimate detail about myself. And the other thing that really struck me was my belief system. I never quite looked at that I had a belief system and, you know, how I expected you to act a certain way. And if you didn't act the way I would act, then you're out. Because that was me. Somebody said it earlier. I don't know what it was. But us Al-Anons are very good at cutting people right out of our lives. Um, except for husbands for me. Friends I could do. Husbands was a different story. I am single today. Um, <laughs> working on that, you know, me and God. And uh, it's all about trusting God. He will take care of me. No man has. Um, so we need to do this together, me and God. But, um, yeah, I did this, uh, and I got, you know, the expectations that I had of people, my beliefs that you should act and you should behave and you should do things a certain way, and if you didn't, then you were wrong and I was right and there was something wrong with you. And I would constantly find myself when situations would happen, whether it be at work or at home or or friends, I would find myself pausing. That was new. Pause. Step back. And thinking, all right, what's the problem here? The problem is they're not doing what you think they should do. They're not behaving in the way you think they should behave. Why does that make them wrong? So that was, that, that was, I have to say, the two big things I got out of that first experience. And then I decided to, and I'm actually going through the journey again. I'm in step nine again. And I did not, I will be honest with you, do all my amends from my first journey through. And I do believe everything that all the gentlemen said, that, you know, that is truly a, a detriment to recovery. Um, although things got better in my life, there were still things that needed to be cleared up and could be cleared up. And I just was not willing. Um, and I continued to, to, to get sick, uh, to be sick. You know, I did get better in a lot of ways, but I was still sick. And I was still trying to fill that hole. And you know that part in the big book where it talks about, well, you could write your own conception of God? So I could never do that. Because I knew who God was, religiously. I knew what God wanted. I could write down, um, you know, on a piece of paper what I would like God to be. But my disease kept telling me, my brain kept telling me, Laura, you can write it down, but you know you're wrong. You know you're wrong. So there was like no out from me because I was very rigid in my beliefs. Went against every single one of them. You know, so I was, if there is a hell, I was going there. And that's just the way it was. But don't now say that, you know, I can create my own God. Because now if there's something beyond hell, I'm really going there. Because if there is venial sins, mortal sins, whatever they are, that's got to be a way beyond that sin. Like to say, well, you know, God's a woman, let's just say. I mean, hello. So I had a real problem in that area. And um, so I would write these conceptions because that's what I was told to do. But I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't grasp them. I couldn't grasp them. I couldn't live by them. I couldn't accept them. Um, and I always, I always tried. I would try with religion. I would go in and out of different... I think I've tried every religion known to man. If you know of any new ones, you can share with me because I'm always looking for a new one to check out. Um, and I was always in some kind of church. And, you know, if I just do the right thing, if I just do what the Bible says, if I just, you know... And, and again, I failed every time. 
And I believe I will always fail, even if that is my belief, because I'm imperfect. I'm a human being, you know, and God knows that. But this time around, when I started doing this experience, my sponsor said to me, well, first of all, back to the first step, you know, I kept hearing, you know, if something's going on and you're really getting sick, then you lost something with your first step. You lost something with your first step. And I'm like, well, what the hell could you lose with your first step? It's pretty damn easy, right? You know, admitted I was powerless over alcohol. Okay, I finally believe that today. I believe I can't cure you. I can't uh, do any of that. My life is unmanageable. But, you know, so I was explaining this to my sponsor. I said, let me just make sure I got step one right, right? Because I'm, like, a little nervous. I don't, I don't want to have to keep going through this. And... I said, you know, admitted I was powerless over alcohol. Okay, I can't do, you know, I can't help them. They, they have a disease and yada, 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 you know the deal. And, and my life has become unmanageable. I said, my life has become unmanageable because, you know, all the crazy people, look who I was with. And every, she said, wrong. <laughs> I said, wrong. I've been involved with some pretty shady characters. If I wouldn't have been involved with them, then my life wouldn't have went this way. Lack of power is our dilemma. I said, you know, I've read that many times. She said, uh, I said, I never quite sat and meditated on that one, but uh, you want to explain that a little bit about that to me? She goes, your life is unmanageable because you're trying to manage it. I said, whoa. Like, that's something I should have got along the way, huh? I couldn't, just, that was like a revelation recently to me. My life is unmanageable because I'm trying to manage it. And like I said, I had a lot of the knowledge from the book, but it just wasn't sinking. And um, so with that, you know, then we, then we went on to step three, and she asked me to do my, <clears throat> whatever, step, wherever it is in the book, about write your own conception in the God, about God. And I'm not good with page verse, so don't ask me with that. Um, I said, you know, I got a real problem with that because I went through my whole thing and I, I really, I can't do that. It's not going to work. I, she said, all right, how about we write it this way? What if we start the sentence? If I were able to design my own God, this is what I would like him to look like. I guess, could you say that again? If I were to be able to design my own God, this is what I like. I said, I think I could do that because it's not going to be like contradictory. I'm just saying, if I could, this is what I'd like him to look like. I'm not right. My God is. So I wrote that. Should read that every day. Okay. Carry it with you. Okay. And a miraculous thing started happening. All of a sudden, I felt connected. To something it's bigger than I was. I didn't feel the bondage of religion was lifted. I was like, this is weird. And she would tell me, you know, ask God and trust God, take God by the hand. You know, she has all these little things. Um, I call her up and I start telling her about something, about some kind of drama. You know, when she's not there, and I'll say, I'm in a real mess. I need your help. I get a message back with a couple of things in the parting words of go to God, go to God, go to God. Go to God, go to God, go to God. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, but I hang up the, for some reason, I hang up the phone and I go, all right. And I put myself on my hands and knees and I go to God and I ask God for help. And I believe today that he hears me. 
I believe say that he cares about me. I believe say he wants the best for me. Um, again, I don't know how that happened. It just did. And I believe it's from this work somehow, but it's something I never thought would happen. And that's a miracle for me in my life. My friends over there knows I've dragged out of many churches. She knows we're going to get this. I'm going to save her too. There's nothing wrong with her. She's perfectly fine. She's probably one of me to a certain degree, but she's like got this sign in her dining room. Keep it simple. She doesn't even go to the program. This is what she does. I'm like, oh, dear God, if I can only be like her. Um, I, she, I, people like that amaze me. They really do. They just amaze me. They still amaze me. Um, but I got that connection, you know. And, and, and life today, like I said, I'm at the ninth step. We did all the steps. I, I, I'm at the in the ninth step again, I'm ready and willing, and, you know, I'm in my amends process, and I made an amends to my daughter-in-law on Thursday, and she was a never. She was an absolute, I will never. Because I said the things to her because of what she said to me and did to me. So I'm not going hard to say I'm sorry. I am sorry I'm not doing it. And I didn't plan on going to do it Thursday, but I was going over to the house, and I'm driving over there to drop something off, and I'm thinking to myself, well, my son's not here. Hmm. She's there alone with the baby. I have a couple of hours. Just do it, you know. And I believe that was from God. And then I got a little, my heart started racing a little bit, you know. And I'm like, you know, here are my sponsor. Take God by the hand and just go, Laura. So I did, and I sat her down. And you know what? It all worked out well. And I was, you know, able to accept whatever she had to say. And it really turns out that she apologized to me. Um, and everything's fine today, but, um, that resentment was lifted. You know, I used to go to the house and it was, I was on eggshells because I would take everything that happened in the past with her and bring it into my presence. So before I got there, I already had an attitude because I didn't know what she was going to say, what she was going to do. Was she, you know, her and my son bicker and what's she going to say about my son and, you know, all this dialogue. I didn't have 45 people. I had 150 people. There was like almost a whole country going on. Um, and I would just keep taking everything and saying, well, you know, you screwed with me and you said this to me. Meanwhile, I've done the same things, you know, and our book talks about that. It talks about that, you know, haven't we done the same things? Haven't, you know, we, we've done things and then step on our fellows, you know, they retaliate and we get angry. And this is what, what I do, what I've done. Um, God and I are trying to repair this right now. Um, but it worked out well, and really my amends to her was very simple. It wasn't that, you know, it was basically that I wasn't present in their lives. And I wasn't present because I couldn't take what was going on in their lives. I couldn't see it. I couldn't deal with it. So I, I, I kind of withdrew, and I, not that I would never see it, but I would, you know, little by little. And, and, and I, you know, my grandson, I have a grandson. He's two years old, little cutie, so fresh, but I love him. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of precious time just in those two years that I allowed myself to be absent because I didn't want to get my feelings hurt. I didn't want to have to worry. I don't have to worry. If I put it in God's hands, he'll take care of it. And you know what? Whatever's going to be is going to be. And if he walks with me, then I'll, I'll be okay no matter what's going to happen. Because, you know, I used to be of the belief that, you know, if you're good, if 
you're a good person, you know, you pray to God and you ask for help, he'll, he'll, he'll help you. And not just, you know, it wasn't help to walk with me and walk through something, it was make it better. That was my will. Make it go away so I can be okay. See, because again, it all comes back to me and it all comes back to the fear. And, you know, like I said to you before, you know, my son now struggles with, um, let me rephrase that because I don't like to call anybody an alcoholic. I will just say that my son is a, <laughs> drinks an awful lot, um, takes an awful lot of pills, and it affects his mother. <laughs> Once again, somebody's screwing with me. And, um, and you know, I, I, I just want to say this, that, you know, I struggled with that disease concept for so many years, and I, and I really believe I had it to a good degree, the concept. I understood it. When I really understood it was when this hit my son. That was when I really understood it big time. And um, because I see this young man who's six foot one, big guy, good looking. It's my son, of course. I have to, he is good looking. You'd think he's good looking. I see this kid who's got, you know, so much potential and has struggled so much in his life, um, so much like his mother and his father. That's not a good combo. Um, and, you know, I would get calls to go over there and uh, from the wife or whatever. And, you know, and I, I did indulge a couple of times. I did go over and, and, and I would take this, this young man, six foot one, over 200 pounds, you know, and walk him up the stairs and make sure, you know, as he's wobbling and a married man, I get him, you know, get him into the room and, and he starts going on a crying jag, which is, you know, I know that's what happens. And, uh, and I, and I say, okay, okay, come on, let's go, let's go. And I lay down with him and I'm, and I'm holding this child in my arms, this baby, cause he's my baby. He's my baby. He's my Achilles heel. Um, the love of my life. And, uh, and I put him to bed, and I put him to bed, and, and I leave. And, you know, that might go against some Al-Anon principles, um, and that's okay, because I have to do what I have to do. I have to be able to put my head on the pillow at night. And, you know, it's about, it's about a lot of things, and it's also about fear, fear that, you know, because uh, somebody always says to me, take it to the bottom line, Laura, what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line? He's going to die. That's the bottom line. He could die. And, and as much as I don't want him to die and I want him to be well, what's going to happen to me if he dies? All comes back to me. All comes back to me. Um, so I, I'm learning one day at a time to really, you know, put him in God's hands. I wrap him in a blanket in my mind. I hand him back to God because he's God's. He's not mine. God gave him to me to take care of him. I may not have done what I perceive to be the best to my, you know, the best things for him at times, but he was a gift. He was given to me, and he's got to go back to God. And God can only, only God can fix him. I can't fix him. So I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but it definitely solidified for me the seriousness of this disease because I know. When my little boy gets up in the morning and he goes off to work and he kisses his wife and baby goodbye that day, his intention is not to hurt his wife, to hurt his baby, 
to hurt his mother. That's not his intention. He's sick and he's suffering. And what could I do? I could pray. I could pray. And that's what I do. Um, you know, there have been times where I've had to, you know, take some actions. I'm sure, I'm hoping not, but there might come some times, let's not go into perception here, but there might come a time where I have to make some serious moves with him. And I just have to pray for the strength to be able to do that. It's not easy. Um, I like the laughter part better in the beginning. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, there is a God, there is a connection. Um, it's been a journey, it's been a very good journey. I'm honest today. You know, I would have stood up here and told you all, you know, no, I don't go, and I don't cradle them, I don't enable them, I don't do any of that stuff, not me, no, I'm recovered. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not recovered. I don't mean to disappoint all you. I'm, on, I'm still on a journey. Um, but it gets better and better and better every day. And I know as I, as I work these steps and I continue to do what I need to do to take care of myself, that it will only get better. And with God's help and the wonderful people that he has put in my life, and that includes all of you for asking me to come here and understand this disease, that life is getting better one day at a time. So I thank you again for letting me share. <laughs>